Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude's In Session Podcast. Today we've got a great show in store for you. We've got Tyler Skaronsky back on the line to discuss his early season New York success. One of the first episodes we did on the In Session Podcast was with Tyler and we discussed a no trail camera strategy. Tyler runs very few trail cams and he spends the majority of his time locating deer through spotlighting, glassing, observation sits. When he locates a deer, he tries to pattern him and learn as many behavioral characteristics about that specific deer as possible. And that's exactly what Tyler did to put this deer on the ground. So I think there's a ton to take away from today's episode. I hope you guys enjoy it. Also, Latitude's Rebel and X-Wing saddle platforms are back in stock. So if you're looking to pick up a platform or any other gear for season, head over to LatitudeOutdoors.com, pick out what you need. You can use the discount code INSESSION to save you 20% off that order. That's one word, INSESSION. You can find that in the description of this podcast as well. Also, if you haven't checked out Latitude Outdoors on YouTube, go check that out. We have the Grit Series, which is all of the hunts from the team from last year that launches every other week as well as hunt recaps that take those individual hunts and do tactic breakdowns to see how they got on the deer that they saw. So I think that the grit is an absolutely awesome series and the hunt recaps are very informative. I know that I personally learned a ton, so I think you guys will enjoy it. Thank you once again for listening to today's show. Let's get right into it. Tyler, I am uh, pumped to have you on the line, man. Thanks for hopping on. Yeah, man. Always love talking to you. We always have some uh, fun conversations, whether it's on the podcast or just uh shooting the crap. So I'm excited to be back and talk some deer hunting. Heck yeah, man. I'm uh, I'm really excited for this one. So last time we spoke to you, it was, let's say late spring, early summer, and you were just getting into starting to do some scouting and some observations and trying to locate some deer. So let's, let's take off right there, man. So after we spoke last, how did the rest of your scouting go up until season? Yeah. So, uh, and that's, we were, we were definitely already into velvet buck season. I remember because I remember you and me had talked about a couple of deer before we started even recording that podcast. I basically, you know, I say spread a wide net, but it's a different version of your wide net. I just kind of go drive around and whether it's some public that I haven't hunted before or a public that I have hunted before, I just started driving around trying to figure out what had what. Did certain places have ag? Was there ag on private close enough to the public I could hunt? You know, what was going to give me the the most bang for my buck when it came to being like efficient and scouting and trying to find deer to take a swing at? Um, for anyone who had listened to the podcast the last time uh, we, I talked a lot about how I'm just, I love the outdoors in general, like bow hunting for whitetails and big game is by far my number one, if I had to give everything else up, but um, being efficient outside of just like what that means for family life is really important to me because I want to be efficient so I can enjoy the whole fall in all of its other aspects. And uh, going into this season, I actually have a new lab that I got and he's going to be my hunting buddy. He's six months today. So he's six months, one week before duck season. So he's going to get out some this year, not a ton, but I've been so excited for that that I told myself, I was like, what can I do to be the most efficient with my bow hunting this year so that I can get it done right away? Focus on him, still hunt with my dad, maybe some travel stuff and I'll still be bow hunting, but how could I be the most efficient with my New York archery tag to get it done right away and be able to, you know, kind of spread my wings on some other opportunities, you know? as the season went on and not be holding on to that archery tag the whole time. Well, you, you nailed the efficiency thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. That was, that felt really good. It was a different feeling. Cause even in this situation, like I normally know of good bucks in areas and then I dive into those areas and I ask myself, you know, where would a good buck be in this area or where should they be? And I go in there and most of the time I don't even kill any of the bucks that I saw over the summer. I think only maybe two or three other times I've ever killed a deer that I'd ever seen before. 
but I see them. I see that the genetics are there that I want that are like acceptable for it. I'm going to punch my tag. And then I dive in and I let the deer decide for me. Like if I'm reaching for my bow before I'm turning the camera on, I'm like, well, I guess this one's going to get one. So that it, it was different for me this year because I had five bucks that I was willing to kill this year. And this was one of them and went in there and made a strike on them on day three. That's, that's awesome, man. So all those five bucks that you located, were they through just spotlighting for the most part, glassing and spotlighting? All of them this year were actually just glassing. I didn't have a single one that was spotlighting, not because I didn't want to, but I didn't get out as much as I normally do. It's a, you know, like we talked about last time, it's a great way to get out. Sometimes the girlfriend will come with me and we'll get the dogs in the truck and go out and do any of that stuff. But it just didn't pan out that I did too much uh, spotlighting this year. So uh, most of these were just glassing. Some of them were in some like overlook spots too, you know, not just, not just soybean fields or whatever, you know, some of them were, you know, just goldenrod fields or low cut grass fields that, you know, maybe uh, a construction company cut or, you know, the pipeline or the power company cut, you know, I was looking down a power line and just kind of bounced around from those spots. And I found, uh, Three in ag fields, one in a like a goldenrod field, natural browse field, and then one other one actually just ran across the road in front of me. So then I ran in and like went in there, tried to find some sign, try to figure out where he's going to change to and stuff like that. So, yeah, all of them were uh, daylight occurrences that put me on on the on their tracks and tried to get me in the game on them. So with this specific buck that you ended up going after, when did you pick up that he was alive? When did you find that deer? It was either right after or right before we talked the last time. So I saw him pretty early in the summer and him and one other buck were very consistent to this to this specific area. And the one was a little bit smaller and I actually ended up going after that buck with the trad bow opening day. Because when it finally came to season, this bigger one I hadn't seen in a couple of weeks. So I didn't know if he shifted. I thought maybe he pushed back to, I knew that there was some corn in the block. So I thought maybe he bumped over to that or the acorns that might have been closer to that. So I figured with the way I could access his property, the least intrusive sit was going to be for the smaller buck right away. So I took the trad bow in for him because I had shot a couple of deer in that same class, but I was like, dude, if I shot that thing with the trad bow, like that would have just rocked my socks. I mean, there was substantially a smaller deer I would have shot with the trad bow last year when I was like, took it out a couple of times. So that one would have been like, I got it mounted just because it was like the fact, the same reason like this one, like I just, I saw him all summer. I got him pegged. I knew what three trails he came out on. One of them, he, he would shift on a little bit of a wind situation, but the other two were kind of hit or miss, but I could shoot both of them, even with the trad bow. It was just where he split around a, like a clump of trees. But uh, so I went after that buck because I, I completely lost this other buck for probably two weeks there at the end of season. Basically what happened was he was in the same area, but he shifted by maybe 500 yards. And because of the daylight, when he was coming out, I saw there was other deer coming out in the spot, but I couldn't see what they were. So I don't think I so much lost him as didn't realize he was still working in the same area. He just kind of made a slight shift to his like home core and how he was accessing this area. That's a great point. You know, these deer are shifting in some way, shape or form before the New York opener. So Mm -hmm. how much stock are you putting in patterns that you're developing before that shift happens? Or how much effort are you putting into that? Like all summer, for example, how many times, like how many times do you need to go out and see this deer in the same goldenrod field or soybean field knowing he's going to shift anyways? Well, so, and this kind of goes back to what we talked about in the last podcast about being a little bit more well-versed and trying to take 
all the different woodsmanship pieces you learn from different things. And um, because of that, I listen to a lot of podcasts, right? I listen to Western podcasts. I listen to small game podcasts, whatever. And one thing that I remember distinctly hearing from a guy, which I'm sure many people might know, maybe he might not, but his name's Randy Almer, world-class archer, monster, elk and mule deer slayer. And his whole thing was talking about killing the mule deer that he does you know, a month, two months before season, even though he might be doing something completely different than the first time you saw him, just learning his personality traits, learning wins that he likes maybe more, you know, he tends to be a little bit more exposed on this wind where on this wind, he might come out of that really narrow piece of cover and stand there and be, you know, he's a little bit more timid. And so that was, that's what I went into this year, trying to use that efficiency piece of saying, Hey, you know, my girlfriend's a nurse. She's gone all night, so I can get out and glass right now, but she's going to be off tomorrow, so I want to make sure I'm home so we can have dinner together and hang out together. So I figured if I could stack over a three-month period almost a month worth of observations on all these deer, then I'd at least get personalities. I'd get, you know, what makes them tick? You know, like I said, does that one make them a little bit more nervous so they not even show up in the daylight? on these places with a certain wind do they come out from a completely different area on a different wind you know all those kind of little things so i was definitely expecting a good chunk of these deer to maybe not be in the areas they were in but i was still getting value in the fact that i was learning their personality so when i dove into stuff i could make you know more more, better educated guesses as to you know are they going to be bedded with a bunch of bucks in front of them when they shifted because that's how they like it or are they a little uh you know, they're a gremlin that sits off in the corner and has his own little spot and doesn't want to be near anybody. You know, if I grunt when I see him and he's out of range, is he going to come ripping in at me? Or is he going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not a fighter. I'm just going to kind of, I'm going to swing the other side of this little, you know, ditch or whatever, because I don't want to go near that grunt. And I think those things helped me out a lot when it was, when it came to making the game plan for this buck and hopefully the other bucks for my old man. It's something that's extremely overlooked, just behavioral characteristics or attitudes or personalities of these deer and i think that the more that the reason i asked that question is i i personally think that the more time that you spend observing a specific deer the better your chances of killing that deer because you're going to pick up on those little things with the specific deer you ended up killing what type of tendencies did you pick up on throughout the summer that he had compared to other deer that you've chased in the past he didn't like necessarily being around other deer very often he he came out even and honestly I'll I'll be completely frank there's two bucks that were bigger than him that I had glassed this summer that I just didn't take a swing at yet and those two deer they were your typical you know bachelored up summer bucks hanging out you know we're all friends right now da 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 but this one he would always come out before you know by like 15 20 minutes every other deer and then he would as soon as he would look back over his shoulder and see other deer it was like changing of the guards he'd walk right past other bucks go into the woods and he'd pop back out in a completely different spot so like how i had mentioned that i thought maybe i lost him that's what really made me think outside of just their other deer back in this in this owner i was like you know what i gotta go check that out because what if that's just not that buck trying to get away from all of the other action that's happening in this this front section where these like five six seven trails come out yeah that's where all the does are coming out all the younger bucks but there's only like five deer coming out in the back and i don't know what they are i gotta go check that out because that might just be that buck trying to get away from that browse pressure so that he can just kind of shop around at the grocery store and not worry about other bucks so that was like just a little piece that made me think you know what? i gotta go check that out 
just to mark that off and say, okay, that isn't him doing that. Maybe he did shift to different ag or, you know, a different crop that I wasn't aware of. Yeah. That's, I mean, that makes a ton of sense, man. I've, I've seen the same thing with some of the big hermit bucks around here where they'll be in a bean field and they'll be alone, but then you'll see subordinate bucks pop out on the other side mm-hmm. and they start like beelining towards that bigger deer. They just want to be next to him. And then he vacates. He'll go back in the woods and then he'll come out somewhere else and then they go try to get him again. And it's just like this. Yeah. yeah, It's like cat and mouse all night. It's kind of funny. But the other thing I've noticed too is uh, some bucks will tolerate specific deer. So Mm. like uh, I glassed a buck. He was actually in a couple of reels I made for Instagram in the beans this year. Nice buck. He's got a split G2 on his left side. He's a three-year-old buck, but he, he runs with like this really narrow, tall six point and he's okay with that deer. But you get yeah. any of the other bucks around the area and he just won't even come out. He he wants nothing well, to do with them. And that was one other thing too. There was a, there's a double throat patch eight pointer that's, he's like out to the years. He's just like such a pretty deer. Like if I wasn't at the point in my life where I'm at, like, I, it's like, I wish I had a son at this point. Cause that would be like the perfect deer for like a first buck to like get you hooked. You know, yeah. like he's like right out to the ears is like just perfect. Like two inch brows, four inch twos, three inch three, you know, it's just. The He's typical New York double, eight point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like double throat patch, which is cool. Like I've never shot one like that, but I always seem to like notice when deer have it and stuff. And that was one buck that he didn't seem to be as, I don't know if anxious is the right word, but as annoyed by, like they kind of bro out a little bit when they were in velvet. And he actually came out uh, the day before I killed my buck. I saw him come out and I was like, and he kept looking behind himself. I was like, I found him. I found him. That's him. It's got to be him. And then sure as crap, he came right out. And then I made my move the next day into that same area. That's awesome, man. So let's get into, I want to talk about the shift a little bit that you saw happen with that specific deer. So let's just dive into some details. So you were glassing this deer, building up his tendencies and his personalities and those behavioral traits that you talked about. When he made that shift, what, what did his shift look like compared to some of the other deer in the area? So one thing that was different, and we talked about me not using trail cameras, I did put out one trail camera on, so where I could glass from was private. I have a, it's a family property that I just, I have access to. It was recently bought by in-laws and stuff like that. So I was glassing from there. So I put out one trail camera on a white oak that was right off the edge of this field. And there was no pictures on it, obviously, until, until the acorn started dropping. That white oak and I guess it sounds kind of counterintuitive because I learned this after killing my buck, but most of the deer shifted and stopped feeding on like the natural browse and then shifted to the oaks, which I expected and is why I put that trail camera there. This buck, the one buck that I went after with the recurve and a handful of one-year-olds and does didn't shift. So like, let's say that they're just for an easy number, if there was 50 deer that were using this field in, um, in the summer, it shifted and there was like 40 of them disappeared and 10 of them were still using the field, which also played into why I took such an early swing at this specific deer, even though it was like in the 80s. But they all shifted into the woods onto the acorns. And I noticed that through the trail camera after the fact, but I also walked the whole field edge and glassed into the woods because I figured with how hot the weather was and I knew where the oaks were, I'd be able to catch bodies and stuff. And I glassed these deer bedded in the woods, even just like doe groups. And like, I did glass one of the other bucks at a different point and they were bedded literally in the oaks. They were just, they, they weren't going any farther than they had to. They were like one foot off of 
oak trees into the greenbrier. You know, they were just just laying there, probably eating them as they fell, and then you know get up and mosey around. But that buck never did that. He stayed consistent coming to the field the whole time, and then he shifted. Like I said, I think he really only shifted probably because of uh, social pressure, because where those oaks were was where he was coming out the whole time. And I think that area was barren until those oaks started dropping. And that was his travel corridor to get to this browse he was eating. Well, as soon as all those other deer shifted to where the oaks were, he bumped even farther away because he's like, I don't really care about the oaks. I would rather be away from you guys. And he shifted like I said, probably five, 600 yards and started accessing the field from a completely different area and using a completely different bedding area just to avoid, you know, the, the herd pressure of, uh, of all the other deer in the area. So going into season, you picked up on that shift. You have a new pattern that you're developing on that deer. You were waiting for the, what conditions did you need? And then, you know, you said that you didn't take a stab at him until day two, right? So day one, you took a different stab at a different deer. So what were you looking for there? I had, hadn't seen him in probably, I'd say at least a solid week and a half before season was the last time I saw him. And that was on a Southwest wind. And then we got a bunch of East winds that came in and I never saw them. And we had east winds for 15 straight days up until the day before season. And then we switched back. So the day before season, I glassed that same spot, saw the the other eight pointer that I had mentioned that I ended up going after with the recurve. And he was still doing the same thing, but these two deer are probably 800 yards apart where they were accessing this field. So he, he kept doing the same thing that he was doing all year long. He did it even earlier on days with East winds a little bit later in the day with the, the, with the West wind. So I was like, all right, well, when this flip happens overnight, he's probably still going to be coming out to the field. I can take a crack at him. So I went in and made the move with him. Uh, I did see one doe. Actually, I saw five does. A couple of them got out into the field. I never noticed until I looked out into the field. And then the, only the one came through the through the woods there. I think I actually, this, this little pocket, like a little kick out on the edge of this field. It's like, instead of the wood line being completely straight, it takes these couple little bump outs. And all those bump outs had thicker like willow brush and stuff on them. And I snuck into this spot opening day. And when I got up the tree, probably 20 minutes later, I heard like a cough or whatever. And I heard some branches break. And then I heard a grunt. And then I heard something get out of there and into the field. I really think I got probably within 40 yards of that buck bedded. And I actually got behind him in the woods and didn't even realize it. And he just went out into the field and I never had a shot opportunity because he never had to walk through the woods. I expected him to be a little bit farther set back where there was a little bit higher stem count. And he was going to come through that section and then go to the field. He never did anything that I could capitalize on. Then I re- I thought to myself, we just had 15 straight days of east winds. You either need to go observation sit in the woods or observation sit back on this field again. Because now you got your west wind back opening day. Day two, we got another west wind. Day three, we're going to have another west wind. They were all uh, west or southwest. I said, you got to just get out there and try to get a little bit better grasp of what's going on. Like I had mentioned earlier, I saw some deer on the day before season in the back corner, but wasn't sure what they were because they were like 1,100 yards away from where I was glassing. With the, I take a, I actually have a tree stand. I bring my tripod and I put the um, spotting scope just just big enough to fit on the tree stand so you can go hands-free and try to like look through the glass. This is what I needed to be high enough to see over the grass, you know, like the the goldenrod and um there's like some sort of it almost looked like wheat grass you know it's mm-hmm. like really skinny stuff with all the seeds so i had to do that for the last half of the summer to be able to see all that stuff but i then 
thought to myself, well, this field's 1,100 yards wide. Those deer are coming out. It's too dark for me to see. I, I swung around the side, cut the field in half, and went up another tree in my saddle and actually put my spotter on my camera arm to get the stability. And the buck, uh, the buck that I ended up shooting came out right after another buck, which I we'd already talked about here on the podcast. But once I saw that, I said to myself, you know, now I got to take that swing because I don't know how long this is going to last. I know there's acorns. I know there's corn in the block. This deer, I mean, I know he's eating natural browse right now, but it's 83 degrees. I'm about to, I, you, I, I told you I was headed down to Ohio for a weekend scouting trip mm-hmm. and I don't know if he's going to be there by the time I come back, you know, we're going to get temp drops. We're going to get all these things. He could completely shift out of that area. Like for whatever reason, he's still eating this natural browse. I need to take my swing right now. So that's when I decided leave that other buck up front. Now I finally re-identified that this buck did in fact shift to a different location, still coming out on the Southwest wind, which he preferred anyway accessing this field and um now i knew i just had to you know switch my tactic and hunt him in a different location than i originally planned on which was a little bit dicier because the way he was accessing by the time he got in the field i was only going to beat him by like like feet yeah with my win you know so if i could kill him in the in the woods i was going to be money as soon as he got into the field it, it wasn't going to take very much for him to get my wind, especially because I don't know how much you dealt with it when you were back home. I learned this like two or three years ago when I hunted a different property. That corner is shaded and I've had it where like even almost middle of the day, as soon as you hit that shadow, it sucks it and rolls it right back towards the wood line. Yeah. So my biggest concern was that when I got up that tree being in the shade there, it was it wasn't going to be enough prevailing wind. And my wit, my scent was just going to be sucking back into the woods. And I figured that's probably why he liked coming out there was he was getting that thermal suck back and he was getting the prevailing through the woods. And so I was really worried about that. But I obviously I beat him by by enough, you know, by the time he stepped out. Yeah. So let's get into the story, man. Let's get into uh, the day of the hunt now. I'm excited to hear it. So you wake up, you check your phone, you have the conditions you need, right? So what does that look like? Let's just get right into the story. Yeah. So like I said, I had glassed them the night before, looked forward at the conditions and they were going to be virtually the exact same as they were the day I glassed them. I'm like, okay. So when I glassed them, I said, I I see that maple tree. It was one of the only ones that was already kind of like getting a little bit change of color. There's like a willow bush. I'm like, if I can get right there, that's got to put me within 30 yards of where he's stepping out into this field. So, and I did take my compound for this one. This wasn't another recurve event. The recurve was only opening day. So I woke up that next morning and I'm, you know, I'm at work and I'm just like, God, what's, how can I make this happen? I got to make this happen before I leave. I I know I got to take a swing at them. And I lucked out. I actually had a doctor's appointment in the middle of the day. I had a doctor's appointment at noon. So that gave me that much more time to get into the woods. So I literally took out my phone and I was like, you know what? I'm a firm believer of like, like your mental state does a lot for you as a hunter. If you say it's going to happen every single time you go in the woods, it might not happen every time, but you're just going to be so much more like dialed when you go to the woods. If you're like, this is going to happen. So I literally texted the whole agenda to two of my hunting buddies. I said, I'm going to get in there. It's going to take me two and a half hours to get into this spot. I'm going to walk all, I'm going to walk down this edge to beat the wind. There's some does that sometimes come out of this other wood block. That'll help hopefully push them back or blow them out of the area. It's going to be so early. It's not going to matter. I'm going to cut down this hedgerow. I'm going to get up this tree. I'm going to get up high enough. So the prevailing wind catches my wind, pushes it back to where the sun is still hitting the field. And it doesn't give me that thermal suck back. 
I'm going to get into that tree. It's going to, like I said, take me two and a half hours. The buck's going to come out. I'm going to shoot him at 25 yards. And it's going to be game over. And so my buddies are like, all right, well, don't, you know, don't just talk it. Go do yeah, it. So yeah. I'm like, all right. So I get there, got there just like quarter to three. I had to go down the, uh, I guess I won't get too specific because there is quite other, quite a few other people in this spot. So I won't get too specific with stuff just because out of respect for them. But um, I had private access here. And the deer was coming off of public is what was happening. So I, I worked my way down the one edge of this field where the wind was in my favor. Never actually heard those does bump off that I knew lived in this little pocket, but I was hoping that they would. Got down to where I had to. Wind was still in my face. Thermal was good. I was dropping milkweed. And I actually hit the um, shadows of the trees, which I kind of expected this to happen a little bit later in the day, but I didn't think it was going to happen at, which is part of why I went in so early. I didn't think that that shadow was going to give a, as much thermal pull back towards the woods as it did at like 3, 3.30, you know. But I hit that first thing. I dropped milkweed. And as soon as I dropped it, it sucked it back like someone had a jet engine sitting on the edge of the field. I was like, oh no, I might not be able to get in this tree right now. You know, it's, as soon as I step there, it's just going to start drafting it all back. Cause we probably only had five, six mile an hour winds at best. It wasn't anything like a good, hard, steady one that I could have confidence in. So what I actually did was I just kept following the tallest grass that I could and the shadows of the trees. And I just kept bumping out to stay in the sun the whole time. And I'm sitting, you know how it is, 85 degrees. I am just drenched standing full sun. Like it's not a cloud in the sky that day. And I'm just like keeping off the shadow, keeping off the shadow, dropping milkweed. And it was so light that I was dropping milkweed and it would literally just go till I couldn't see it any higher. Like it was just coming off that field straight in the air. If I took two steps into that shadow, it was swinging it back. Mm -hmm. So part of the issue with that is I had to pass where I actually thought he was betting to get to that spot. Just the way the way he was going to access and where I thought he was going to come across, I had to go past it. So I had to stay in the sun to keep it from kicking back towards the wood line. So I finally get to where I need to be. I find a straight line to the tree that I want. I picked the tree from probably 60 yards out. And then I made a straight beeline for the tree. I would go two steps and I would stop every time just to make sure that I wasn't making too much rustle with the wind. Or luckily, this is in a little bit more developed area than I normally hunt. So there was cars I could hear go by at different times. Guy ripping his crotch rocket down the road, airplane going, whatever I could take advantage of. And actually, at one point, I had to go through some pretty gnarly, like, uh, you know, the edge of a field where it's all tall grass and the green briar all get yeah. like woven together. Mm -hmm. And I had to blast through that. And I'm looking at it like there's no way I can get in here. And luckily I had, there's like a jet plane that came over and it got as close as it could. And I just barreled, like I put my head under and just barreled right underneath it. And I got into this ditch and then I just sat there for like 20 minutes, just let everything calm back down, sat there. I actually couldn't get in the exact tree that I wanted. So I had to be about another five yards farther into the woods than I originally anticipated. But um, got up, I did, it was uh, three sticks up in my, and then on my platform. Um, I said, another thing was I couldn't get as high as I wanted to. So for the first, probably, probably the first two hours of the sit, I was getting that thermal suck back towards the woods. But luckily, just the way it played out, I was getting a straight line. You know, if I'm in my saddle this way and the field I accessed is directly behind me, it was hitting me in the back of the head and going straight into the woods. So I hoped that by the time the night cooled down enough that some of my that prevailing wind would push it out into the field more than the thermal was sucking back. So I think what it was was there was such an extreme difference 
with such straight sun being on the field and then the shade from the the wood line that it it just created that massive thermal pull back towards the woods that otherwise I think maybe on a cloudy day it wouldn't have been as extreme. So I got up in the tree, couldn't get up high enough to really cast my scent out like I wanted to, but I still had confidence that it was going to work out. Um, I ended up actually having, I think those does that I was hoping to bust out six o'clock come right behind me. Mm-hmm. I hear, fum, fum, they're blowing at me, stomping in the field. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me right now? Look down at the phone at six o'clock. I'm like, you know what? He didn't come out until like seven Oh five yesterday. And it was, it's hotter today than it was yesterday. So I think he's going to be even a couple minutes behind that. Like, I think I got time. So I just waited it out, stayed confident in my setup. And he actually never came out. Some buck came out of the bedding that I expected him to come out of. Cause I jumped that I walked through that bedding three days before season and bumped out that same double throat patch wide eight pointer out of that bedding. And I heard another deer get up, but never saw it. So putting those two things together, I figured like that double throat patch buck is bedded closer to where they're feeding. He's going to be set back. He's going to come right across in front of me to circle down where I thought he was probably expecting to get some thermal. And he was going to be able to get into that field in this low spot. And he actually came out in the low spot. So he came through the woods through a, like he was betting in open hardwoods. I thought for sure he was going to be in this willow brush. And, uh, I saw him coming. Th- I could hear him coming through, saw the, the wide eight pointer pop out. And I'd already ranged one spot that was 53 yards. The way this, this one other deer, a spike came out earlier in the evening and he diagonaled across out of this corner. I'm like, okay, well, perfect conditions. That's going to have to be my shot opportunity. I'll have to make that decision when it comes. So this, this smaller buck comes out, this, this nice eight pointer and he comes out. And I, so as soon as I see him pop out, dialed it right to 53, I'm like, I still got enough light. I'm confident I can make that shot sitting, waiting for him to get out to this grass patch. And I look down and he's paralleling the field at like 20 yards. So now my bigger concern is that this buck's going to get my win because now there's no sun. You know, it kind of got a little bit cloudier and the the field was a little bit more monotone when it you know comes to the amount of sunlight hitting the field and stuff. So I wasn't getting as much of that that thermal coming back. And so now I'm concerned with this buck getting my win, but I can hear this other buck, which I'm assuming at this point is my big one coming through the, the thicket because I can hear it just like a rack getting stuck on stuff. He pops out into the field and naturally there's one big bush. Like I can't shoot him right where they stepped out. So I dial it right back. I, uh, it's, it's something to talk about for another time, maybe next summer when you talk about bow setups, but I always set up my bow for 25, 35, 45. And I like that because it gives me a little bit more leeway than a 20 yard pin. If you misjudge something that's like 26 yards, you're, you're going to miss. But with me, that 25 yard pin if I misjudge him, I say it's 25 and he's 28, I'm still in there. If I say he's 25 and he's 22, I'm still, you know, I'm still pretty much in that, you know, with a good fast shooting bow. But that's that's for a different time. So I dial it back to 25 and uh, he comes right around this bush and I'm watching the smaller buck. He gets behind the tree and now I'm beating the smaller buck by like, I don't even think I'm so much beating him with the angle. I think my scent is just lofting over the top of him just enough that he's not blowing out of there. And, um, so the buck steps out. I'm like, he's at 30 yards. I'm just about to put tension on the string. And I'm like, dude, he has no idea you're here. Why are you like this? You never get this opportunity. I normally hunt down in the Southern tier of New York where it's all like, they're coming past you. You got to make that shot. And you got to make that call right away. He's feeding right there. I'm like, dude, you got to know what that yard is. So I pull up the range finder and I hit him with the, uh, the range finder, 26 yards. I'm like, all right, well, that's good. Cause I probably would have shot over him guessing 30, you know? 
put the pin right on him and he's quartering to me a little bit. So I knew I didn't want to completely hug that shoulder, you know, and hit the shoulder, but I, you know, I had to, you had to play that game. I felt very confident in that shot. Um, but I put it on him. I let it rock. I hit him, zipped it right through him. He bounds off about 60 yards and, uh, gets in the middle of the field and just stands there. I'm like, he's going to fall. He's going to fall. He's got, he's got to fall. He's, he's just standing there. He's kind of rocking back and forth. I'm like, dude, I smoked him. I saw a green loom knock right behind the shoulder. Like this gonna be. And then he arches his back and starts walking towards the edge of the field. And I'm like, uh, and for any young listeners listening to this, if you see your buck arches back and you think you hit him good, you hit him in the liver. Like if you know you hit him bad and he arches, okay, we already knew that. But if you think you smoked him and he arches his back, you hit him in the liver. And so he walks towards the edge of the field and I lose him right at the edge of this field. And so I wait about an hour, made a couple phone calls. I get down, go look for blood. Don't see any blood. Didn't find the arrow immediately. It was one of those that it passed all the way through, but it hung in by the fletchings for a while. So it ended up being a little bit farther off. But I, I get home and I'm telling everyone about it. And my dad is like, dude, you got him. You got him. I know you got him. You had the whole plan. You're like, I, 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 I read the plan and my mom is looking at me. She's like, you actually know what you're doing. And I was like, yeah, I finally had to tell you guys, like, I know I'm crazy, but like, I got a game plan. Like, I'm not just like luckily sitting in the woods all the time, you know? And they're like, let's go get him. I was like, oh, I, I want to give him a little bit more time. So we ended up giving him, it was three and a half hours by the time we went back. And uh, we're walking back there. And I'm feeling really good about it. I'm figuring he's going to be laying just inside the woods. Sure as crap, don't we walk right to where I lost him? I look over and there's a white belly laying right there. And I'm like, you guys, he's laying right here. Mm-hmm. And for a second, I actually made like a decoy that I like out of an old 3D target. So I thought it was the 3D target. Oh there. my gosh. And I look over and I'm like, you guys, he's laying right there. And they're like, oh, my dad takes two steps. So it's me. My buddy's a little bit farther out in the field than my dad is. We kind of walked down, see if we could catch first blood at the at the, at the edge of the field we thought he accessed at or exited at. And um, as my dad takes those two steps forward, my buddy's, I'm looking over at my buddy and his eyes get like he just saw a ghost. He goes, guys, I look over, this deer stands up. Holy cow. And I'm like, are you kidding? You know, I thought he's laying like, I'm talking full white belly. It wasn't like he was laying there like a dog. Like he was on his side. This deer rolls, gets into the woods. We all click the lights off and uh, we just barely hear a branch break every, you know, every 30 seconds, maybe. He never bound, never made any big bounds, never did anything. So I'm laying there. I'm sitting there. I'm like, oh, come on, come on. What, what, what's my decision? What's my game plan? What's my game plan? And luckily that night it was supposed to get down into the 50s. Like it was a substantial drop. So there was coyotes going like crazy and I wanted to push. And I was like, you know what? I If I push this deer, we already haven't found any blood. If I push this deer, it's just not going to go well. You know, if he's laying in there and he fell over, we're, you know, we'll be celebrating. But if I don't, then it's a cavity search tomorrow. So I actually ended up calling a, a dog tracker. Never done that before a day in my life. Shout out the boys on the hunting public because I was like, you know what? They always, you always hear them talk about it. Like if you're going to call a blood tracker, don't make any more scent in the woods. So I was like, yes, back out. I'm going to call the guy. If he can't be here right away in the morning or, you know, like at gray light, then we'll go back in at like one, two o'clock in the morning and just start looking for him. If not, then we'll go with the blood tracker. And luckily for me, the guy was able to be there. He's the original founder of the Western New York um, deer search here in Western New York. And uh, 
he was willing to make the drive to come help me out. And dude, that dog walked right to that deer. Like we probably, we probably could have found him if we walked in there, but I was just so happy to have not like, I'd have been so sick if I did something wrong after already making a, like a bad shot on my behalf. Like, th- like I take full responsibility for that. Anytime that I shoot at a deer, it, it should be dead within eyesight or crash within ear sound, you know, like, and I, and I take a lot of pride in making those shots. And I don't know if it was an ego thing that I thought I was good enough to make that shot or just maybe it was out of my peep just a little bit too much at that gray light hour. But um, I would I'd have been sick if I was walking up on a deer that I just found rotting out like a day or two later, you know. So I was just so happy. And she did a great job. Miss Ivy, she was a little uh, like Bulgarian bloodhound or something. He called her. It was like halfway between a coonhound and a wiener dog. It was kind of a cool dog, but she walked, she got right on it. She had to figure it out a little bit from where we were all walking around, but she took a straight line to him and he was laying there stiff as a board. So he was probably dead, right? You know, he, he might've died after we stopped hearing him, you know, cause he, he face planted. I mean, he wasn't even bedded. So it wasn't like he had to bed down and expired at that point, but she walked right to him and we were all hooting and hollering and celebrating and, uh, we made it happen. That's awesome, man. So how was that celebration with everybody? Just feel on top oh, of dude, the world. It was unreal. I mean, it would have been so much better too. My one buddy that we became really good friends through work, which is the only time I've ever had a work friend. Like I, I'm a very like lone wolfy kind of guy. Like if you're in my circle, you're in my circle for life type of person. Yeah. So it's not, I'm not very commonly like making friends at work that I hang out with. And, uh, I, I worked as an arborist and my buddy, Matt is just like me and him are just each other's biggest fans. Like if someone shoot, like I will drive two hours back home. If you shoot a deer, dude, I, I am not like, I don't care about my hunt anymore. And that's how he was. And he was so willing to be there. And unfortunately he had to go to work the next day. So I wish he was there, but, um, it, it was just awesome. Like I, I love dog work. Obviously, like I mentioned, I've got my dog. So to see the dog go to work was like such, it wasn't the reason that I wanted to see the dog work, but it just added so much more value to the hunt to me to like be able to praise her and tell her and thank, thank the gentleman that was, he was just like such a class act. You know, he, he even mentioned, he's like, notice how I didn't even ask you if you shot a buck or a doe, you know, I just, doesn't matter to me. I just want to see you happy. That's why I do this. And he, you know, I'm, I'm hugging my dad and hugging him and he's like laughing because he doesn't even know yeah. me. And I'm, you know, <laughs> high-fiving or whatever. And the cool thing about that guy too, I'll just make one more mention is that, I, you know, I took a knee and I just said like, thank you, God. And if you don't have to believe in God, if you listen to the podcast or whatnot, but like whatever higher power you believe in, like there's normally people looking out for you. And I, I, I just took a knee and, you know, you know, thanked him because that's what I believe in. And that, that man turned around out of a full bore conversation with my dad and the other blood tracker and was like, that's why I do it. And that's just something that's like, I think sometimes in social media, we don't get to feel that as much, but I think there's a lot of us out there that just just love it. And it's just so much part of our life that it was just awesome to see like an older generation that still appreciated that that was out there too. And it was like, we just had all, we all had a good moment and there. It was, it was one that I think all four of us will remember for a lifetime. That's super cool, man. And that's every deer that I kill. I have a very similar process where it's, I actually, I recorded a podcast with Lee Ellis from Seek One yesterday. Yeah. And I was talking to Lee and he was like, you know, I killed that. He just killed that giant in Ohio. And he was just telling me how, like what he does is he turns off the cameras for like 15 minutes and he just spends time with the deer and, you know, he thanks God and he just, he reflects on all the work that's went into it and the sacrifices made, you know, leaving family behind to chase a deer and all these crazy things that happen. And I feel the exact same way. I mean, I I do the same thing. I can, 
I can look back at every deer that I have and I remember that moment probably more than anything else that took place. You know, it was just like yeah. sitting there reflecting on everything that happened and that went into that hunt. And that's, that's super cool, man. And I just, I can't think of a better person to have that success. I mean, I, I root for you to the end of the world, man. I just, I think that you do it for the right reasons. You do it the right way. And you're, you are the right type of ambassador for what we do. I think that there's just really something to that. So, um, I want to get into some tactic stuff about this hunt right at the end, because you, you mentioned some things that I pay a lot of attention to. I'm a, I'm a huge access guy. I kind of geek out on access routes and doing things that don't really make a lot of sense to a whole lot of people that end up in a, in a dead deer. And the fact that you were paying attention to that, you know, whether it's the prevailing, was the wind coming from the woods into the field? Like it was just blowing. Okay. So whether it's the prevailing, like rolling over the top of that, the trees and then rolling back or the shadows pulling it or a mixture of both, Mm -hmm. paying attention to that on your access route as you went past that deer. It's just awesome to me. Like the fact that you stayed right. out in the field enough, you're like, I don't want to be too far out there, but I want to be out there enough to where I can make sure that it's not taking my scent and pulling it back in towards that deer. Man, that's just, it's something that's so overlooked. Like, you know, even me as a, as a kid, and then every once in a while I get sloppy. I just don't pay attention to that stuff all the time. And when I don't pay attention to it, I don't have a successful hunt. And so just going that one step further like that is just, man, that's so cool to see. Yeah, even little, like you said, and my my old man comes from an older generation where it's just like, well, you just got to get to the tree stand, you know? Mm-hmm. Or whatever. And it's like, he's like, why didn't you go down the one side of the field? Well, I didn't go down the one side of the field because like I had mentioned earlier, I knew deer were betting close to the edge. And I didn't know how far they would bump back. And even if they didn't spook that other buck, if they bump back, if I went down that edge, they might come out and that was going to be more noses back there. Cause I already knew there was only maybe four the night, but first or day before season five deer came out back there the day before I killed him, only two deer did. So I'm like, I don't want to put any more noses or eyes back there that I don't have to. Couldn't go through the middle of the field because then I felt like I was kind of potentially giving an advantage to either of the deer. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, I was planning on just going down that edge, which I think kind of worked out in the benefit that it didn't matter. But if any other deer would have came down that edge, they wouldn't have got my ground scent because I cut about probably 80 yards back out into the middle of the field. And then I only had that one straight line that if any of those deer would have got to that point, they could have been dead. So that was, it wouldn't have mattered. Yeah. And, and the other thing there is sticking to your plan because you had a couple things go wrong. You couldn't get as high in the tree as you wanted to. So you were a little worried about your scent, but the big one to me is you actually, you kind of blew right through it. Like it wasn't a big deal, but this is a big deal because I feel like a lot of people will get discouraged when things go wrong right away. But those does blew at you and were stomping at you back in the woods a lot of people are going to start packing up their gear. They're like, well, it's over. It's that's it. I just, you know, I wasted my time, but just believing in the plan, believing in the system that you put in place and just holding out. I mean, that killed that deer. You just being like, you know what? It doesn't matter. I'm going to continue to just run this course and stay here until dark. Maybe I don't see another deer because they did smell me and blow at me, but maybe I killed a buck them after day three. Right. Yeah. And I think that's something too, to, to, for people, I, you know, I definitely, I I encourage people to go and just watch deer like we mentioned earlier, because on three separate occasions in this summer, I saw coyotes go out into fields where I saw deer, not specifically this one. It did happen once in this field, but then two other locations and deer blew at one end of the field. They'd completely vacate. I mean, and I'm talking blowing close enough that 
in the relative spec of where this deer came from and where the does blew at me that night was the same spatial area, you know, if that's making sense. Like, he probably could hear him blow, just like these other deer did with these coyotes. And big deer still came out later, or deer vacated and came back. And I was like, there's no reason to get down right now, because that that he could just think that that's a doe blowing at a raccoon, or a doe blowing at another coyote. And maybe he's just going to be, maybe he'll be a little bit more on edge when he comes out. But if he wants to eat there, he's not just, you know... He's been liking going to McDonald's. He's not going to go to Subway today just because of that, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. And I see something very similar, and it seems like in general, I'm not going to say all the time because I've seen just about every possible scenario, but in general, if I have like does in a field and a doe blows or any deer blows and runs off, it seems like the does will get pretty skittish and then run away. And even younger uh-huh. bucks, but when you get into those big mature bucks, I just feel like they have to almost verify whatever's going wrong for themselves. Not all the time, but it seems like a lot of times they're like, they're a nomadic animal. You know, does are living together as a group to survive. You know, they, they're not wind-based bedding very often. They're bedding in a circle, looking different directions, smelling different directions, and they're utilizing each other. And so that community aspect of it, when something's wrong, they're like, oh, I trust that other doe. But those big bucks are like, well, you know, I live by myself all the time anyways. I'm not going to run out of here because, you know, Sally's blowing at Tyler over there. I'm going to I'm going to hold put because maybe maybe he's not actually there and I don't want to get up and run if I don't have to, because where am I going to go? I'm already in the spot I want to be. Now I'm going to be uncomfortable wherever I end up going. So so, yeah, there's something to it. I mean, I've killed a lot of deer. Um, The last deer I actually killed in New York was oh, okay i was so, gonna say your last ohio one too the, i know you talked about in a couple podcasts. yeah so so dad's buck was one the last year i killed in new york i actually had does feeding in a field i had a bunch of cattle that broke out of a farm come over and feed at this field i mean i'd been observing this field for two months watching these deer yeah. come out um the night before i killed there was actually two this buck and another buck were fighting and he is you can't see him, but he's right there. But he broke off one of his tines, like the tip of one of his tines fighting. I mean, a knockdown drag out fight opening day. And I killed him the next day. But so I get set up. Same thing you did. I walk the field edge. I'm checking my thermals. He's going to come out of the corner of the field. And uh, it's about that time. And I had all these cattle closing in the field and start grazing in front of me. And the does ran off and were blowing like crazy. So I used to carry a grunt tube. I started grunting at these cows and they ran off. The whole herd oh. ran off and the buck came out and I shot him. It oh was, my gosh, that's unreal. Yeah, man. It was just a crazy story. But but dad's buck is the same way, man. So there's something to just these big deer really. I mean, it. I feel like it has to, it's going to take a lot, a lot of times. Unless it's something that's happening over and over and over. But if it's a one-off occurrence... They might just stick to their game plan and you might still get that opportunity. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if at different op- different times, I know I've seen it, you know, the buck is maybe a little bit more leery at time, you know, in different situations. And I think that's a personality thing too. I think if you have a buck that thinks he's so bulletproof, he's just going to walk down there and be like, I don't care. I'm still doing my thing. Like you said, but then there might be another buck. that's like, all right, well, I'm still going to do my thing, but I'm going to, you know, if I walk this trail at five miles an hour, I might take it at two and take a stop and look around a little, wait until I can verify for myself. Like you said, yeah, I verified for myself. I'm safe. 
you know, versus like you said, just blowing themselves up and going, you know, across Timbuktu. And then they're in what now they're trying to find another safe place. Like you said, they already know where they should be safe. They know how everything should be. Let me make that decision for myself. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want to just run off somewhere. But hey, man, I think this has been an awesome podcast. I want to get into one last thing. And that's just your season plans from this point on. So you're tagged out archery buck in New York already. What do you got left on the table this year? Yeah. So, I mean, I know that we're a deer podcast, so I won't drop too much into the other stuff, but definitely I'll be doing some duck hunting my, with my uh, new pup, Chief. He'll be out. Um, I did tell you I'm going to try to drag you out and see if we can embarrass you trying to shoot it's some ducks. It's going to be bad. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so my my I still hunt with my dad a lot. That's something that I, I love doing when I fill my tag uh, before. So I'm going to try to get him out on a couple of those bucks. Fingers crossed. One of them did show back up in a spot. I did an observation sit yesterday and uh, one of the bigger ones showed up. So I'm hoping for that for him because he's never gotten a like a mounter size buck with the bow. All of his are gun kills. So I'm going to push him a little bit. He retired this year. So he's got I'm going to be sending him scripts of what he needs to do. We'll see if he follows them or not. (laughs) And then I'll hunt with him, obviously, when I'm not at work. But um, other than that, I got my other New York tag uh, that comes gun season, which I might push off and try to use a little bit later in the season. Season, you know, or at least at least hold a higher standard for it than I typically do, you know, because normally it's just kind of uh, like a deer camp vibe. Like I don't care as much about size when it comes to the gun. You know, I try to look for, you know, a, a solid two year old or two year old or better where maybe I say three or four with the with the bow. Um, so I tend to drop my standards. I think I might actually hold off a little bit more this year and try to have some fun in the late season if uh, if I don't fill it with the with the gun. And then uh, Ohio, that's my only other plan. I know that we had talked. I uh, I went and did a little scouting trip. Some stuff was exactly what I expected, and some stuff was uh, a little different. You know, like you guys have bottoms now. I know what bottoms are. Because a lot of the stuff I hunt here is like straight down, straight up. I'm like, how do you hunt a deer in a bottom down here? It's a it's a creek that I have to yeah. slide down the side of, you know. And like, you guys have bottoms that are like they're not bowls. Yeah, they're flat. But yeah, <laughs> like they're different. Like, and now I'm like, now I see how you could hunt a deer there. So I learned some stuff, and that was it was a short trip. So that was all I did have my bow the whole time. But it, it, that that was the point of it. It was supposed to be a learning experience. So I'm hoping to get back down there either uh, end of October or sometime in November can push it off a little bit later if I have to. I think it's going to be a couple of, uh, unless I get really high on something, I might make it multiple short trips just because it's close enough. Um, just that'll help with, uh, you know, home life balance and stuff like that. doesn't have to be a, a, a seven or 10 day commitment all at once. Um, but yeah, those are, those are the three tags I'm excited to try to either fill myself or be a part of. And then I'll just be doing some, uh, duck hunting with the chief. Heck yeah, man. Well, good luck. If you, if you still have that, uh, that last buck tag, we'll go out and track some deer during that late season muzzle hunt. Cause I come up for yeah, that every you, year. You it's brought that up and I was like, you know what, maybe I'll hold back a little bit, get into some ground. I've never, I've scouted some similar ground, yeah. but I've never actually gone in there and hunted. So I was like, you know what, maybe I'll go down with Jake and I'll hunt with him and his brother and we can have a little deer camp, you know, that way. So I'll tell you what, like man. I said, I, I'm, I'm going to hold it. I'm going to hold off, I think a little bit and leave that one in my back pocket to have some fun with it. Yeah. A muzzleloader and about a foot of snow is a lot of fun in the mountains. You oh, just get on deer tracks and go. And then they just kind of pot, like you, you find one, but you find 20 of them and you're like, holy cow, look at all these deer. So, but yeah, right, man, yeah. that's awesome. Uh, good luck the rest of the season. Hey, you filmed 
that hunt, by the way, right? That's going to be over on the uh, Hitting the Dream YouTube. The only pro I didn't get the shot on film. That doesn't matter. So, that doesn't yeah, matter. I, I, I'm in between. I think it, it should be on the Hitting the Dream YouTube channel, but it's going to be a little bit more educational. I'm going to try to I'm going to try to put it that way and try to break it down, maybe even a little bit more like this with some example maps and stuff. Um, there's been a little bit of stuff brewing with uh, people wanting to know exactly where I was hunting and stuff like that and other people that knew and other people that told people. So I might hold off on it a little bit. So I apologize to people if they want to hear that right away. But it, it, without how early of a season hunt it was, it'll be a little bit more applicable probably next season at this point anyway. So I'm definitely going to do something, but it's going to be a little bit more educational based and uh, it will be on the YouTube channel. And that's Hitting the Dream and the Instagram is Hitting the Dream as well, right? Yes, sir. Awesome. Well, hey, man, can't thank you enough for coming on here. I'm sure we'll be talking again before the end of the season. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Appreciate it. And uh, nothing but luck for you and health for your family. Appreciate you, man. All right, everybody, that is a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening. If you could, please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a written review. See you next time. Yeah.